the, the book is about um, the, the tribe of Judah, of the nation of Israel. Habakkuk is the prophet, and Habakkuk, in the very beginning of the book, uh, questions God. He, he sees that his uh, land, his people, are not obeying God. They're not following God. They're, into, they're, they're going into moral decay. And, and, and Habakkuk knows the promises of God, that God will bless the nation, Israel. He remembers this from Abraham, from Jacob, from, from Isaac, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Um, and uh, he... He knows that, that God's going to bless this people. He knows that God's going to multiply this people. He knows that God makes promises, and he believes that God is a promise keeper. And so he's confused about all the things that are happening, the, the moral decay of his people, the moral climate that, that has turned to, to turning away from God and turning to other idols. And so he's been praying for a long time. God, why will you not save? Why do you not hear me? Why are you idle? So in his understanding, because of these facts are happening of the moral decay, God is not hearing. God is not present. God is idle. So it's confusing to him. And so God answers back in verses 5 through 11 in in a really astounding way. In verse 6, he says, uh, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. So God declares that he is doing something. He's not idle. He is doing something. And, and what, you're, what you're seeing, um, you won't believe. He says in, in verse chapter 5, What I'm going to tell you, you won't understand. See, I am busy. I am at work. And I'm the one raising up this, this nasty group of people, this wicked group of people. That's 5 through 11. And then Habakkuk comes back at him again in in, in further confusion. And in verse 13, he says, Why are you allowing this to happen? What are you doing, God? Why do you look idly at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So so more questions. How could you be doing this, Lord? What are you you accomplishing here? So, so we're going into decay. We're, we're getting to be a smaller group of people, less and less righteous. And you said we're going to multiply. And now you're going to bring people over to, to crush us even further, to take us out of our homeland, to take away the temple, to crush the temple, to ruin everything. How can this possibly work, God? What are you up to? At the end of that, in, in verse chapter 2, the end of the at the end of the thought process, but the beginning of the next chapter, he says that he's going to take his watch post. He's going to get up on the, the, the watch post as it would be for a, a fortress with, a, with an army at wartime, gets up on the watch post to hear God, realizing that I, I've got to get out of what I think to be true. I, I, need, I need to get away from my thoughts. I need to get away from all the voices. I need to get away and, and hear what's true, God. I need to listen to you because I'm not understanding I'm not, I'm not getting this. Then we went into chapter 2. God's answer. He says, write this vision down. Write this down. It's, it's coming. It's, it's, it's not going to be slow. Verse 3. It will not delay. Write this down. This is going to be sure. This is going to be certain. Write this thing down. The righteous are going to live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. That's a monument verse in this entire book. The righteous will live by faith. 
He contrasts that prior to that with the, 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 the upright man or the man who thinks he's upright, the puffed up, the arrogant man. And he goes on through uh, much of the rest of the chapter to depict the, what this guy does. This, this group of people just runs over and mows over people, claiming nations that are not their own, ruining everything in the path, including nature. But then he gets a picture, Habakkuk gets a picture, gets a vision of what God is doing. Verse 7, will not your debtors suddenly arise? This is God speaking to the Chaldeans. So this is God bringing judgment on those that are over, reigning, ruling over the, the tribe of Judah. Verse 7, will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. So, so nations are going to come against this nation. And he sees this and he understands this. He realizes, okay, God is a just God. He is a righteous God. He is bringing judgment. He is in control. Goes on for a little bit further and God declares in verse 14 how much he is in control, how much he is um, the, the God of the world. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So Habakkuk's original complaint was, God, we're, we're becoming a smaller remnant of Israel, this chosen nation. We're becoming smaller. We're, we're getting to wickedness. We're going away from you. We're not multiplying. We're decaying. God declares in verse 14, that is not true. That is not true. I'm taking you. I'm taking this great glory of mine by my people who I am all over the world. God continues to show His authority and His reign and rule and what is going on in verse 16. Middle of the way through the verse, it says, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. This is speaking towards the Chaldeans. Even though that they're puffed up and they're doing well and they think everything's going great and they're powerful and they're overrunning people, God declares, the cup in my right hand will come around to you. Utter shame will come upon your glory. So God is a, a just God. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. And He's a God of, of, of judgment in this situation. He's a God of judgment over the Chaldeans. And, and so Habakkuk sees this. And in verse 18 and 19, God gives a picture of what the Chaldeans are all about. They, 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 are, they are a people that is chasing after false gods, false idols. They're building up places for themselves. They're using people to do this. They're trusting in gods made of wood and metal. And God mocking those gods says, can those things teach? Do those things have breath? Do those things have life? At the end of chapter 2, verse 20, the last thing that he says, the last thing that he leaves Habakkuk with is this, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. So answer, or Habakkuk comes back now with a prayer, it might say, more, more accurately, probably a, a, a title in your book. It says a prayer in mine, but it's, but it's a song. It's a psalm. 
a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigonoth. And Shigonoth is, is, is used twice in the Old Testament and it, it is depicting of a psalm. It's a type of psalm or a song. And we see that uh, um, there's, there's uh, ways that this is written, characters, characteristics of a psalm at the very end. It says to the choir master, there's with stringed instruments. So this is instructions in the psalm. So this is a, this is a song of praise. So, so he, he, he's in complete confusion in the beginning. Then God speaks and he's, and he's more and more in confusion. And then God speaks and give a, gives a clear picture. Maybe not of, of, of everything of exactly what God is doing, but, but he gives him a clear picture that he is God. I am God and I am in control. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the remainder of the things that continue to build up in Habakkuk's understanding about God that would push him towards praising God. <clears throat> Verse 2. We're going to look at three things. I'll clue you in now as to what those three things are. Um, the, the first thing is, is the sovereignty of God. And I know that we touched on that last week. Uh, we touched on it the first week. Um, it really is brought to a, a large and, and, and profound point this week. So the sovereignty of God, the mercy of God, and the faithfulness of God. The sovereignty of God the mercy of God and the faithfulness of God resounds into praise. Let's take a look at verse 2 of chapter 3. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. We've got to stop right there. He fears the work of the Lord. What, what work is he fearing? Well, two Two kinds of fear, two kinds of work that he is fearing. He is fearing the, the report of God, the report that with, which God brought to him. He's fearing the, the fact, this vision, what he saw, he fears the judgment that's going to come upon the tribe of Judah. And then secondly, which will be our second point, his fear is that he hears the judgment of wicked people. He, he hears the judgment of those who have worshipped other gods and it causes him to fear. We'll get that to that in just a minute after we cover our first point here. So the first point, the first fear, the first work of God that he is fearing is this report that he hears that God brings to him in the prophecy. And what I want to point out what is very profound, he says this. What, what is it that he's fearing? He's fearing the Chaldeans, right? The judgment that's going to come upon them. He's fearing the Chaldeans, the destruction. He, he is afraid, and we'll see this even later, verse 16, that he is afraid. This is, this is human rationale to, to look forward to your people being almost dissolved, your people being held captive, your people being exiled out of the country. There's legitimate fear in that. And that's by the hand of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are, are, are the ones that are doing that. But notice he does not say, I heard the report that you bring to me, and I'm really afraid of the Chaldeans. 
Very important. Very important that you see and hear and understand this. He says, your work, O Lord, do I fear. Your work. Your work do I fear. Remember, if we look back, God said in verse 5 of chapter 1, I'm doing a work in your days that would you would not believe if, if told. I am raising up the Chaldeans. This is God doing His work. This is God utilizing a wicked, nasty people to do His work. Habakkuk didn't understand this. And a lot of us don't understand that. Because we have an idea of what God, who God is and exactly how He operates. And God, you got to work and think like I think. Habakkuk proved he didn't understand. Couldn't, couldn't get what God was doing. Assume that, okay, God, your people, you're, you made your promises to your people. This is a people group that you love. You're going to multiply them and you're going to bless them. I don't see this happening. Therefore, you can't be in control. Made his own conclusion, didn't he? You cannot be in control. Doesn't make any sense, God. God allows him to see, I am in control. I am in control. You don't understand me, but I am in control. How does he allow him to see that? Well, it's, it seems subtle, but it's not so subtle. In, in chapter 2, to answering his complaint, how are you in control? What are you doing? Why, what, what's going on here? You, don't seem, you seem to be idle. You seem to be silent. You don't really seem to be in control. Life just kind of seems like, you know, it just happens here and there. You seem like you're very distant from me, very distant from us. And he makes his evaluation based upon you're not here helping your people. You're not saving. And what does he say in verse 14? For the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that verse, God says, I am in control. I am in control. My glory will spread and cover the earth. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, a little bit later, but see, God's, God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 was this, that I will bless you and I will make you a man of many offspring, of many nations, my glory will cover the earth. Genesis 1.28, the, the plan of God, the original plan of God was He made man, and He made man in His image and in His glory. And in 1.28, He said, go and cover the earth. Why? Just because He wants people everywhere? He wants everybody to see all the mountains? No, because His glory... Man, made in the image of God, is going to cover the earth. Multiply and cover the earth. My glory will cover the earth. That's the plan of God. That's always been the plan of God. That continues to be the plan of God. Even after the fall of man, where we do not reflect His glory any longer, God had a plan. 
with Abraham in Genesis 12 and in Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis 26 with Isaac. And in Genesis 35 with Jacob. God has a plan. God is in complete control. And the accusation of Habakkuk is completely unfounded, he sees. You are in control. You are saving a people. Verse 14 declares that when God says that. And verse 20 also declares, doesn't it? Doesn't doesn't verse 20 just resound to I am God and I am in control and I am sovereign? Verse 20 says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before me. As man tries to build his temples of glory, as we worship other things and other idols and other statues, as we build this car and that car and this house and this city, man's always trying to build something and do something with his own hands that he can worship. God says, I'm the only one that's in a temple. I am the only one that speaks. Idols don't speak. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. See, God is sovereign, not in the situation. God is sovereign over the situation, over the circumstance. Psalm 93, so we don't just see this in the book of Habakkuk, that God is in absolute control. For sake of time, we're just going to go through a couple verses here. But, but 93 is significant. I love it. It says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put, this, he's put on the strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. The world shall never be moved. So He encompasses everything when He says the world shall never... He's either saying one of two things. Just, I've just got control of the world and, and, and it won't be moved. I don't got control of anything else inside of the world, but, but I, I've got control of the world. It won't be moved. Or, or God says, I've got the world and everything inside of it under my control. And, and in case we don't know, in case we're confused about that, there's more verses. Psalm 135.6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth in the seas and in all the deep. Psalm 115.3, But our God is in the heavens. He does ever, whatever He pleases. Daniel 4.35, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Second Chronicles 26, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in our hand, in, or in your hand. Or, or, I, I've got a typo there. I won't finish that one. Sorry. First Chronicles 16.31, let the nations, or let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. On and on we can go about the absolute sovereignty of God. What a picture the, the disciples crossing the boat, or crossing in the boat across the sea. And the storm comes and they're all freaking out. And Jesus is asleep in the boat and He gets up and He calms the storm. And these disciples turn and look at Him and He says, Who, who, who is He? Who is this guy that the winds and sea would obey Him? We, 
We see that over and over, He's not just the God of the world. He's the God of creation, all of creation, even the winds and the sea. The mountains obey Him. Disease obey Him. Diseases, disease obeys Him. We see Him healing people all the time in the New Testament. The demons obey Him. He tells them to get out and to leave out of a person, and they leave. They go. God is in absolute control. He is absolute authority over everything, over evil. He is authority over evil. He is authority over suffering. He is authority over everything. Brings us to our second point, also found in verse 2. So he's... He sees this work of God and he says, your work do I fear. Your work do I fear. So what else does he see? He sees in this vision, he sees in this picture, he sees the Chaldeans being punished. Being punished because of their wickedness, their faithlessness in a God. Their lack of faith, their complete disobedience to God. No worship of Him, only worshiping idols. Doing life their own way. Whatever they please. Whatever they want. Building their kingdoms. Building their empires. And what does he say? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known, God the work that you have been doing of old, where you've been raising up a nation for yourself. That's the work he's talking about. In the midst of the years, revive this work. In wrath, remember mercy. So so he he sees the judgment of the Chaldeans and he remembers, and we're, we're not so good either. You know, we've turned after other gods. We've worshiped after other gods. The reality of it is all of us have in Romans chapter 3, starting at the last per- verse of, of, of uh, or starting, at, yeah, let's see, the last part of verse chapter, I mean, verse number 10. Uh, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understand, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is you and me, everyone who has ever lived. Dead, apart from God. And no fear of God at all. And so he, decry, he, he cries out and declares, God, have mercy on us. I, I, I see your work. I, I see your judgment. I see that you're a just God. You justly rule over this world. You kill all that is wicked. You destroy all that is wicked. You are a just, righteous, and holy God. So is there any chance for us? 
Well, yes, in, in, in verse 2 of chapter 4, God said, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. God does not sweep sin under the carpet. God does not pretend it doesn't exist. God doesn't choose to look at some people's sin and not look at other people's sin. God looks at all sin and it is punished for every one of us. But some will have their sin punished through Jesus Christ. You don't want to stand before God on judgment day and have him punish you for your sin. It's an eternity apart from him. It's hell forever. Jesus came. God came in this world, in our time, in humanity, came and became a man and, and took upon your sin, your trouble that you caused for you, me, Our sin, our iniquity, our punishment, it doesn't get swept under the carpet. God killed Jesus on your behalf. All sin is punished. All sin will be punished. Do you want to drink that cup or do you want Jesus to drink that cup for you? He's already drank the cup of death. He's already won death at the cross, won life, won victory for you at the cross. God says he's a righteous God. He's a just God. And the righteous will live by faith. So Habakkuk, in God's answer, he remembers, actually probably even more accurately, he learns more about the sovereignty of God. And he remembers the mercy of God. He remembers the mercy of God. <clears throat> brings us to our third and, and, and uh, final point, which is going to cover a lot more ground, which shouldn't take a long time. And that is the, the, the faithfulness of God. God is a faithful God. So, so God is sovereign God. He's a merciful God. And God is a faithful God. And this, too, is very important. We see the, the rest of the verses, verses 3 through verse uh, 15. It, it's, it's about remembering back, Habakkuk remembering back to God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, remembering back all the times that he would deliver them. He would deliver them from the hands of the enemy. Remembering back to um, the, the, the times when there was praise towards God. Uh, remembering back when uh, in verse uh, 3, uh, that, that verse 3, God came from Taman, which is the south, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. This was signifying uh, that God gave the law on Mount Sinai, and praise was lifted up to God because we now knew that we were separated from God, and we have a God that, that loves us. You keep on going, and, and you see that uh, in verse 5, before Him went pestilence and plague followed at His heels. Um, that, that's a picture of God destroying nations in front of Israel. 
He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Picture again of his sovereignty. Verse 7, I saw the tents of Kishon and affliction and curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. So Kishon and Midian, these are nations that once ruled over Israel. So, so now they're in affliction. Verse 8 was, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord, your anger against the rivers and your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses and your chariot of salvation. This is a picture of the, of the rivers, of, of the Jordan River, the, the, the Red Sea parting. Um, God obviously was not angry at the, at the sea. What God did is he delivered his people. It's a picture of a deliverance of his people, love for his people, his faithfulness to continue to, to save Israel, faithfulness to continue to bless a nation. Verse 9, you strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Picture of God fighting the battles for the nation. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. You might uh, recall that picture of, of Joshua and, and nation Israel um, when they had five kings come against them and God declared to to Joshua, um, that, that he is with them, that he will deliver these people into your hands. And so Joshua declares this to the army, and so they ruthlessly go out in the power of God um, and destroy this army, and God is with them. God actually kills more of them than they do uh, with hailstones. Um, and as they're running and as they're fleeing, um, uh, he, he declares, uh, Joshua declares the sun to stop, the moon to stand still, and they continue to just just... Uh, devour the, the, the people that once tried to devour them, de- devour their enemies. And it's a picture of God's faithfulness to them once again. <clears throat> Verse 12, you marched through the earth in fury and you threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Continual picture of, of there, there being a a God that is over their salvation, that is for them, that is in front of them, that is destroying everything that comes against them. For you were pierced, or you pierced with his own arrows, the heads of his warriors, the heads of of kings, of nations, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters." So, so this, is a, this is a picture of the faithfulness of, of God to his people. And like I said, remembering back in, in Genesis chapter 1, the faithfulness of God and, and God's plan, what I mentioned to you earlier, I just want to read it to you. <clears throat> and God blessed them, man, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Obviously, man and woman, be fruitful, be fruitful, fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the air and every living thing that moves on the earth. Prior to that, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. God gave glory to man. God gave splendor to man made in his image 
And like I said, the, the idea was that man would cover the earth so that God's glory would be everywhere on the earth. The glory of God is the most beautiful thing the world will ever know. The glory of God is, is the most majestic thing we will ever know, that we will ever see. It's the greatest thing. It's the most powerful thing. God's glory. I don't even know exactly what that means. I don't exactly know how to explain that to you. When I thought of how to, how to I, don't, I don't know that. But he is so above us. He's so above our thoughts and our ways. He is glorious. He is righteous and holy and pure. His glory, all the attributes of God are wrapped up inside of his glory. All the, the power and the majesty and the beauty and the authority, everything is wrapped up in his glory. And God's plan from the beginning is to establish his glory everywhere with his people for his people to see and praise him for that glory. And you get right down in the little small people and the small narratives and the small time of the world and you see that this is the plan with Abraham. This is the promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless you, make you a man of many nations. Like I said, in Genesis 12, 26, 35, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't have time to read those stories today. Um, but, but look at them and, and see that, that it isn't just God saying, I'm going to be with you, Abraham, although he was, wasn't he? It isn't God just, I'm going to be with you, Isaac, although he was, wasn't he? It wasn't just the fact that God said, I'm going to be with you, Jacob. But I'm going to bless the nations. I'm taking my glory to everywhere. All the nations will know me. All the nations will bow before me. All the nations will give me glory. And so it's very cool to know, isn't it? Very comforting to know that we're not just random little narratives in this planet, that we are a part of this. We're a part of the big narrative, and God is faithful to the big narrative. He's faithful to us for sure. Faithful to us as individuals and, and to come into our lives and to, and to comfort us. And, but isn't it, isn't it, isn't it grand that, that we're a part of something that's much bigger? God spreading his name and his fame around the, around the earth. Ephesians chapter one, verse 11 says, Paul understood this and he wrote this. He was so excited. He just, Ephesians is just full of excitement. He's probably just screaming and, and jumping up and down and yelling to the Ephesians as he's, as he's writing this, I guess, and, and, and telling them. But, but he says in this, in Ephesians chapter one, verse 11 he says in him in Jesus we have obtained this inheritance too we have obtained this blessing and we have obtained this inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in in Jesus because Jesus wasn't in the New Testament or the Old Testament so we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory it's full of everything we were just talking about we get the inheritance He's speaking to Gentiles outside of the promise, outside of the nation of Israel. This is us. This is who we are today. We get this inheritance according to His plan, according to the counsel of His will. That, that speaks to His plan. Everything's been predestined, predetermined. That it speaks to His plan. All for what? All to the praise of His glory. Nothing's changed. It continues on today. This is God's plan. God is saving a people to the praise of His glory. We are part of that. Christian, we, we need to understand that, that God is a faithful God, not just to me in my little small circumstance, but to the, to the bigger picture. 
that we are a part of. That's exciting. Life isn't random. A lot of narratives that fit into the big narrative. A lot of stories of people that fit into the big story. Now we'll get into uh, closing it up here in the last few verses. What do we do with all this? We've got uh, the, the realization of sovereignty of God and the mercy of God and the faithfulness of God in this chapter. Verse 16, we start to see this praise starting to build a little bit. Verse 16, follow me here. This, is, this, gets, to the, this gets to the important part of the entire book. How do we praise God in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of darkness? I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So, so this is the beginning of that emotion that he's, that he's expressing, that he's showing here. Obviously, it began when he's writing this whole psalm, but it's depicted here. Even though rottenness enters my bones, even though I've got this anxiety, even though I see this is coming upon us, even though I know this is imminent, I know that you say what you say happens, it is sure, it's true, it's going to happen. But I will quietly wait for that day when God judges those people. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. So he's not working on some positive power of thinking or power of positive thinking. I actually looked that up and, and just wanted to just wanted to throw up. There's just so much on that the the, the power of positive thinking and 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 basically what it is what what you've got to do. You, you've got to elevate yourself, make yourself better than everything. You're supreme and everything's about you. And you've got to lie to yourself about what is really true. Don't think that way. Don't, don't think you're sick. Don't think that you're broke. Don't, don't think you've got trouble in relationships. Don't, don't think that way. You have to lie to yourself. This is the, this is the, Power of positive thinking. Is this what's going on here with Habakkuk? Is this what he's doing? So he's going, okay, this isn't really happening. This isn't really happening. I'm not, I'm not really in this situation. Does God sit here to us and go, don't, don't worry about your circumstances. Don't, don't even look at your circumstances of life. Just, they don't exist. They don't just pretend like nothing happens. No, God doesn't do that to us. God loves us in the, He loves us better than that. He helps us in the midst of circumstances. How is Habakkuk helped here? How is he helped? Well, obviously by everything that we've gone through, everything that we've come to, to pull together to understand. Even though this day is coming, even though he sees this day coming ahead and he's fearful, he knows, he knows one thing now that he didn't quite understand before. God is completely in control of every day of this captivity. 
God is completely sovereign over this. See, we pray to God, don't we, to come into the midst of our problems. And and He does. But we act like God didn't know, or God didn't hear, or God doesn't know our heart. This one really bothers me, God. I I really need help here. And so we think of God kind of like just a, a divine fireman. That, that, that the house starts burning down and so we dial up God real quick and we go, God, get in here. Come on. Help me. Save me. What we don't realize is that God is over the fire. God is over the fire. We ought to be, we ought to be clapping our hands here. God, God is, God is over it. God is completely in control. He's not oblivious. He doesn't not know what's happening. Everything is in His control. Everything. Everything. And if this God is a good God, He's merciful, He's faithful to His people, we win. If if this is the God and He's over everything, what do we have to fear? There's, There's nothing to fear. God is sovereign. God is in control. He's absolutely in control. And so we might not be super stoked about what's ahead or what we're in the middle of, but we can rest in one thing. We can start to lift our hands and praise for one thing, one truth in this. God, you're totally in control. And because what I know about you, I can, I can trust you. I will, I will trust you. Verse 17, the, the crescendo of this song, the crescendo is, a, is the building up of, of music. And, and, the, and this building up just continues to come here. The, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, that the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So you don't have to pretend, you don't have to pretend that that broken relationship doesn't hurt. We don't have to pretend that, that, that injury or that chronic illness isn't real. We don't have to pretend that losing my loved one's okay. We don't have to, you know, that hurt. We don't have to pretend anything about, look, he, he gives credit to this. He, he acknowledges that this is true. He acknowledges his circumstances. Isn't it great that we don't have to get rid of our circumstances to be able to praise God? What we have to do is we have to look up to the God that's in absolute control of everything. What Habakkuk needed to do, he needed to remember the faithfulness of God. He needed to look back on how God was always delivering his people. God does this. This is what he does. He delivers his people. He's for his people. God gives mercy to his people. He pounds, pounds us with mercy and his grace and his love. And there's nothing that can stay his hand. There's nothing that can come against this God. We, we have victory. It's sure. It's certain. It's not, we're going to have victory. We have victory now. We can never have another day where God is not totally over us or in control. Not that there ever was a day prior to, but isn't that great to know? Isn't that great to know? Amen? Anybody? That's great to know. This is a, this is a, a real picture, a real story of a real man with a real God. And he's not standing up there and, and puffing out his chest now and declaring that, man, I'm, I'm, my problems are gone. It's over. God. This, picture a man that's crying. That, 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 
Maybe is on his knees, just weeping. Because he knows what's ahead. He knows the destruction of his people. He loves his people. He's afraid, afraid of the pain, afraid of the affliction. But ultimately, he can raise his hands and praise because he knows that, that, that God is in absolute control and he loves me. He loves me. He's the God of my salvation. God is the Lord in my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places. He loves me. See, He's the God of my salvation. This is a prophecy about a particular people, Judah. Their defiance of God and their imminent judgment that's coming. It's about an enemy that's coming against them. For their sin. But this enemy will only be over them for a short period of time, maybe some 60 years. And God would rule over this enemy and would deliver his people. And his people would be able to return back to their land again and not be over the rule of the enemy. That's a great story. But, but he's given acknowledgement of the greatest story. This is the God of my salvation. I will rejoice. The greater story, there's a greater story than that, with, points to a much bigger picture, a much bigger enemy, and a much bigger hero. See, not just the nation of Judah, not just the tribe of Judah has sinned, all of us have sinned. And we don't have just little tiny men that come over us and conquer us as enemies. We've got sin as our enemy. Sin is our biggest enemy. That's the biggest enemy that, that man will ever know. Death. Sin brings death. Eternal separation from God. There isn't a group of nations. See, in this picture, there was a group of nations that came together that conquered the one nation. There is, you couldn't gather all the nations if there was a thousand million more worlds and conquer this enemy death, you couldn't do it. It required a bigger hero. The greatest hero of all, Jesus Christ. The biggest problem the world has ever known, this death, met the biggest hero, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus conquered death and he brought us into our homeland. He will bring us into our homeland. It is sure, it's certain. Remember this picture of God and his faithfulness and bringing all these nations coming to a glorious place of praise. Revelation 9, I'll just read verses 9 through 12 and we'll close. 7, sorry. Here's John in his vision of heaven, his picture of heaven. And he sees, here's what he sees. He says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes 
and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And you know what? If you believe in Jesus Christ, He saw you. John has seen you. This is a vision when all the nations come together. All the nations. We know that the end will not come until all the nations worship and glorify God. This is a picture of the end. This is a picture in the distant. This is a picture distant from today. John sees all the, all the nations are there. Guess who's there? Every Christian. You're there. God's faithful. If you believe in God, John has seen you. You're in the book of Revelation. Isn't that cool? God is faithful. God is faithful. Will you trust him? Let's pray. John, you want to come up? Actually, hold off on that. Sorry, we've got a short time here. Father God, we, we thank you for this book. We thank you for this great understanding, God. God, we, we, we thank you that you're the one that's in control over everything. I don't know how that all works, God. I don't understand everything perfectly. I, I really don't. But I believe you, God. I believe that you are sovereign and you're a good God. You're a just God. You're merciful to me, God. I, I know I need that. We know we need your mercy. Every day we need your mercy, God. We need your forgiveness of our sins, and we thank you. We thank you that your grace is abundant. Where, where we have sinned, your grace is, is, is more, it's better. And God, you're absolutely in control of it all, and we are so, we are so grateful for that. And so God, I pray that, Lord, any of us that are, that are going through difficulties of, of any kind, Lord, today, that we will take encouragement, Lord, that, that won't just last today, that won't just last for this trial, but that will help us see a better picture of you so that, so that we can walk through all of this, not just through trials, but through all of our life, trusting in you more. Let us believe you, God. Let us believe that you are the greatest. Let us believe that you are the only one. Let us believe you're that God. Let us visualize that picture in Revelation of the end, Lord, which is really just the beginning. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.